at this moment, we're going to have our ushers come forward and uh, pass out this paper called the Crosspoint Church Ministries. Now, you may have already received this, but uh, again, we want to make sure everybody has a copy of this because I'm going to actually go through this in just a little bit. So as the ushers come forward, they're just going to pass these sheets down. You don't have to worry about them right yet. You'll get them and get to them in just a moment, but I just think it's important that you get it. Hey, we are so glad that you're here today. We meet every Sunday as a community to worship. We pray and we sing and we praise and we open up His Word. We're teaching families to know and obey and enjoy Christ so we can be salt and light in our world. Two weeks ago, we began a critical series here for Crosspoint for you and actually for me. Um, the early church, we found out, is not a building. It's, well, a bunch of people. It's you and me. It's an organism. We are the church. The early church, as we focused on last week in Acts chapter 2, had four major components, four core values. They were teaching, fellowship, worship, and prayer. This week, we go past Acts chapter 2, and we look into what the church's roles. We're going to focus on on that. But we, before we do, let's pray. Father, once again, we just come before you just so grateful that we come boldly into your throne room. We ask that you would teach us today. We ask that you would help us understand a little bit more of what the church is, what the church does, and how unbelievably in love you are with this church. Lord, we're not the only church that is teaching your word today and proclaiming you as king. We know that there's churches all and up, up and down these roadways. We pray that you'd be with them, that you would use um, each one of those communities to make a kingdom impact. We love you, Lord. In your name, amen. Amen. You know, I wonder if we break God's heart. We've all seen children whose selfishness or immaturity screws it up for everyone. You might be back, you might be in the backyard, and, and for some reason, your cousin, your brother, well, whether it's he's just a little bit too selfish or whether he's immature, begins to pout, begins to rant and rave, and all of a sudden, the nice family game of kickball or whatever you're playing goes right down the tubes. Everybody kind of scatters. The parents take this young man or young lady aside and, and sometimes, well, reprimands them, sometimes spanks them. Sometimes looks into their eyes and say, do, do you understand that there is so much more than whether you got a hit 
or whether you made it to first base. Do, do you get it? We, we, we're having fun. We're enjoying family. And for some reason, you kind of screwed it all up. I think that's sometimes how we are. We, in sometimes our selfish states, without even understanding, or maybe lack of maturity, we act like children. And we don't get our way. And I think it breaks God's heart because he looks at us and says, I, I want you to understand something. I want you to understand that I love the church and I have gifted the church and I have empowered the church and that I want more for you than you will ever, ever, ever know. The, Christ is, uh, the church is Christ's bride. He loves her. The church is God's family. He wants them to be family and to love each other madly. The church is Christ's body. He is the head. He wants us to be coordinated and graceful. But if we're honest, sin has marred our earth, relationships, and life. We have accepted the landscape. We says it is what it is, and we just have to live our lives. But I don't think God wants us to settle. He wants so much more for you, and he wants so much more for our church. He does want us to experience abundant life and enjoy eternal life eventually. But abundant living isn't living like a king. It's living under the reign and the rule of the king. Yet we struggle. We would rather focus on our kingdom rather than on his. It's hard not to be influenced by our culture's values. And we often get self-absorbed. God faithfully reminds us that he is our father, our king, our God, and that he alone is trustworthy. We can be an unstoppable force together, accomplishing more than you can do by yourself in ten lifetimes. God has gifted you and set you up well to make a kingdom impact right now. The scriptures are clear. The church is Christ's body, doing his work and accomplishing his tasks. Are you ready to see how this all works? Are you ready to see how God can do some amazing things way greater and bigger than anything you can imagine? Well, in order for us to do this well, to get the best picture, I'm going to jump between two metaphors. A healthy church is likened to a human body. There is nothing quite like the coordination of a finely tuned athlete. A healthy church is a finely tuned athlete. Now, it's not surprising that Paul spent the, most of his time talking about church health to the most dysfunctional of all the churches. That was the church at Corinth. But I'd like you to turn your Bibles or open your flat screens with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to start off right there. 
Paul begins letting this dysfunctional church, this church that was just so filled with schisms, this church that was just hoping for prominence and, and not understanding that everybody really has a certain role and a certain gift. So he starts off in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, and he says, everyone has a gift. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we might help each other. If you've come to faith, if you came to a spot in your life where you recognized that you were lost, that you needed to be rescued, that Jesus Christ died on the cross in order to redeem and restore you, you are part of God's family. And at that time, supernaturally, the Holy Spirit not only indwells you, but gifts you gives you something extraordinary in order that you might be able to use this gift to equip and serve and help others. He goes on in chapter 12, at verse 12, and he says there's many parts to a human body. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. We find out in verse 18 that our bodies have many parts and God has put each part right where it should be. So if you look at a body, there's fingers and there's toes and there's kneecaps. And you can look and see all those things. But on the inside of the body, there's hearts and livers and all those other lungs, things that are pretty critical. Things called veins and arteries, and all the different things that are hidden by our skin. But Paul says this, all the parts are critical. In fact, the unseen ones are really critical in verse 22. Some of the parts that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. I guarantee that if any of you had any issues with gallstones or kidney stones. We find out immediately how our body responds. Now, everything may look good on the outside. You may even be a marathon runner. You might be as fit as you possibly can. But if there's something that goes wrong on in the inside of you, nothing else matters. It just doesn't. You only want relief. Please take the care of the stones. Help me, my appendix, whatever it is, take care of the situation. You see, what Paul was trying to say is that we really are all different. And we're all needed. And even some of those that, well, look more important, they're not more important. Everyone Everything is important, and God says, I put it together, and I literally put the Crosspoint Church body together, and have brought everybody together in order to function well as a finely tuned athlete. He goes on at the end of chapter 12, goes into chapter 13, which many of you know is the love chapter, and he basically says this, is that all the body functions best together when you love each other. 
If you look at the end of chapter 12, he he says this, but now let me show you a way that is best of all. And then he goes right into chapter 13. He says, hey, I don't really care if you really speak really well. I I don't care whatever you have as a gift. If it's the most important gift or you think it's the most important gift, if you don't use that gift with love, it's like a gong. It's irritating. And we've all seen that. And then he goes and describes what love is in verses 4, 5, 6, and 7. And so many of you have read that. But where I want to go is is he ends chapter 13, goes into chapter 14, and chapter 14, verse 1. Let love be your highest goal, but you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives especially the ability to prophecy. Again, Paul just gives us a blanket statement. And and he says, hey, what I want, I, I know there's all kinds of gifts. I know that you have special abilities. I want you to use them with love. That is the most important thing. And then all of 1 Corinthians 14 affirms that every action is done lovingly to strengthen one another. The whole goal is for us to function well as a body. In chapter 14, verse 26, Paul sums it up. He says, everything that is done, every bit of it, should be done in order to strengthen our body. You see, if you're a kingdom kid, God has graced you and made you a specific part of the body. If we have a healthy body, everybody needs to be functioning. When a body is hurt or diseased, the whole body is affected. Let me just say this one one thing, and, and every one of you will know. Infected toe. Yeah. Every one of you have had an affected toe. It's just a little thing on our body. It's not very big at all. But how come you have to soak it? And how come you got to take antibiotics? And how come you can hardly walk? And how come you can't even read? How come you can't even sleep? How come this thing throbs so much? Well, it's not functioning the way that it ought. You know, gifts are discovered, excuse me, some gifts, though, get more credit than others. Some gifts, uh, again, toes don't seem to be really important, but up on the screen, you've got a doctor up there. His name is Dr. Nixon. Now, you may not know Dr. Nixon, but, but the truth is, for me, Dr. Nixon's a pretty important guy. He did two shoulder surgeries for me, two knee surgeries, and fixed a trigger finger. All right? Now, that may not mean much to you, and you didn't even know you had a bionic pastor. All right? But one of the things that people ask me, hey, who's your doctor? Oh, it's Dr. Nixon. You got something wrong. What an orthopedic, amazing doctor. You you need to go to him. But you know what? He gets a lot of credit, and I think he deserves the credit, to be honest. But I also know this. There's a whole lot of people that signed me in and figured out the insurance. 
There's a whole lot of people that, well, cleaned the room so that I didn't have to get a disease. There's a whole lot of people that, well, made sure that I was breathing while I was out. There's a lot of people scrubbing. There's a lot of people working my shoulder after we're done. There's a lot of folks that are a gigantic team. And for me to get back into, well, working order, I won't say terrific shape, but, but working order, I had this unbelievable team of 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 people. But who gets the credit? Dr. Nixon. Dr. Nixon gets the credit. You know, I think what Paul is trying to say, yeah, there's going to be some Dr. Nixons. But it takes a whole lot of people in order to be able to function well, just like our body. It is true. I think our church depends on you. I think churches, our, our gifts are discovered and developed. If you read in 1 Corinthians uh, 12, 13, and 14, Romans 8 and 10, if you read in Ephesians chapter 4, the scripture is filled with different gifts that are listed. And I actually don't even think all the gifts are listed. Many are. But what I want to share with you is this. Let's not make gifts too complicated. Because I think God blends your personality, aptitude, and talents all into the mix. I know some of you say, oh, you know what? I need to get a, a spiritual gift survey. Fine. I think that's nice. And you can get those online. You can figure it out. I'll even help you find them. But the truth is, if you sit down and just say, hey, how has God wired me? Am I an extrovert? Am I an introvert? Am I an organizer or am I not? Am I task-driven? Am I relationship-driven? God, when I came to faith, and you probably only know this if you came later to faith, what unbelievable, extraordinary gift did you give me that all of a sudden I knew I didn't have before your Holy Spirit dwelt in my life? I guess what I want to just say is this. The scriptural truth is that God graces every one of you. Even if he gave you gifts and talents before you came to faith, that's still a gift. It's still great. If you are unbelievably intelligent, if you are unbelievably skillful doing certain things, God gave you that gift. And he wants us to invest well. I'd like you to mark down, if you would, Matthew 25. Because Jesus talked about investments all the way through while he was here on planet Earth. But in Matthew 25, I think it's one of the clearest pictures where we understand saying, hey, you know what? I've given you some talents, some money, some gifts. Someday I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back. And I'm just going to say, how well did you do? Oh, Rick, my gift was insignificant. Oh, 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 remember, we just found out nothing's insignificant. Okay. Oh, really, I don't have the... Don't look at what you don't have. Look at what you have. And God says this. Sometimes I give people lots of gifts. Sometimes I give them few gifts. But whatever it is, I'm not looking for what happens with the gifts. I'm looking for you to just be faithful. 
Just be faithful with what God has given you. Just do your part. You're part of the body. Function as part of the body. And watch this body unbelievably move forward. You know, the church is also the family of God. It's also the family of God. You know, in John 1, 12, Scriptures tell us very, very early, hey, if anyone has received Jesus Christ as their Savior, they have the privilege to become one of God's kids. So healthy families do life together. Jerry Bridges, one of my favorite, again, I keep telling you all my favorite uh, people, but I have a lot of favorite people. Okay, he's one of the navigators. He's not actually alive anymore, uh, but he wrote this. He said, ministering grace to one another means we pray for one another, encourage one another, teach and admonish one another, spur one another on, carry each other's burdens, share with one another, and so on. Truly, the body of Christ should be consistently alive with this reciprocal ministry one to another. You see, that's a family. That's what a family is. And again, I mentioned last week that sometimes we are in very dysfunctional families right now or grew up in some very dysfunctional families. I'm not trying to pick on families, but, but if you see what a biblical family is, they are working together, loving each other, gracing, building up, supporting, praying, caring, spurring one another on. You know, everyone has their roles in a family. And oftentimes those roles evolve. As you get experience or as you get older or circumstances sometimes dictate it. But roles change just like they do here in a church. You're not always going to be doing the same thing in the same way. You know, what's very funny is that we like to take spiritual gifts surveys for the church, try to find out where we fit in the church. I've never, ever seen anyone take a family survey. Uh, you know what? Let's figure out. Let's have a family meeting today. You know, there's four or five of us. Let's really try to figure out how this whole thing works. Well, I think you try certain things. You do certain things. You figure out certain things. In fact, the bottom line is you help others do what is right and build them up in the Lord. Paul helps us understand how this works for Christians at Rome. Now, if you understand the book of Romans, uh, Paul wrote this highly theological book to a group of, of people living in the, in the capital city, to be quite honest. And in this area, they were just struggling just struggling with some things in the church. And if you look at chapters 14 and 15, there were a whole bunch of people coming to faith, and there were a whole bunch of people kind of crowded in the church. And what was happening is that, well, there was a tradition, a tradition that those who were really mature, it didn't matter much. But during that time, there was a lot of idol worship. And during that time, the best meat and the best sacrifices were always given to the idols. So if you wanted a great ribeye, all right, you'd go to the shambles, which was the marketplace of the temple, a pagan temple, and get a ribeye. It was the best meat. But there were some Christians 
who were flaunting their liberty. There were some younger ones that didn't understand this, and, and they're going, oh, how can you possibly be eating that ribeye? It was offered to Zeus or to Apollos or to whatever it was offered to. And what Paul said is this. He says, don't screw up ministry. Your family. Hey, you would never hurt your family. You would never do something against your family. Why would you knowingly hurt them by eating some meat? Don't eat meat. Whoa. What do you mean, don't eat meat? Don't eat meat. Love supersedes anything else. And then in chapter 15, starting off in verses 1, 2, and 3, this is what Paul says. We who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive about the things like this, eating meat. We must not just please ourselves. We should help others do what is right and build them up in the Lord. For even Christ didn't please themselves. You know what? There isn't a parent on the planet who's worth their salt that doesn't understand this. Parents do not please themselves if there are kids in the house. They don't. Every once in a while they scream out and say, can I have some personal time? I get it. But realistically, you are always sacrificing for the sake of your family. You cook what they like. You do their schedule. You are always sacrificing, and that's really the church. You know, let's look at the church's mission, keeping these metaphors clearly in mind, and see what God has for us. Oh, my word, this is going to get good. You are on the edge of your seats, I know, right now, but it's, it's coming. Jesus gave his boys their marching orders. And he basically said this, as you go, make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Jesus modeled for the disciples, the church, how it's done. He left his Holy Spirit and he unleashed a group of guys that none of us would even have hired. Jesus had three loves. And thus, three dimensions to his life. And I think you'll understand this when I say it's up, in, and out. Jesus had an up dimension. He focused on his relationship with his dad. Healthy disciples have a deep and connected relationship to their father and are attentive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. There was an in part of Jesus' ministry. He spent lots of time with his disciples. Healthy disciples are constantly investing in other kingdom relationships. Some are deeper than others. And lastly, Jesus had an out focus. He spent time with outsiders is the best way you could look at it. Healthy disciples enter into the brokenness of our world, bringing both life and hope while gaining a reputation of loving others well in spite of how they are treated. You know, the church, if you look around, is usually good at up, in, or out. 
Most churches might even be good at two of these. But I don't know a whole lot of churches that are good at three of these. Let's get practical. How does the church do up, in, and out well? I just want to warn you, this may get just a little bit uncomfortable. I'd ask you to just sit through and make sure we make it to the end and don't get too upset. But let's look together. Let's look together and see if God may want us to grow individually and actually as a church. There's always a personal component. Every one of us need to look inside first, and it's critical and essential for every individual family member or every individual part, body part, that they walk with God. We all need to grow. We all need to understand who God is more and be able to worship Him. We all need to be able to understand and receive ministry to ourselves, and we all need to open our eyes probably a little bit more to those who are unredeemed. We personally do. Part of the responsibility is to develop or discover your gifts and listen to God in order to know where you serve others, whether it's an up, whether it's an in, whether it's an out, whether it's in a multiple parts. We need to discover and develop our gifts. But what I want to spend some time in is the corporate component. We need to live life together in gatherings and in clusters. We need to do life together. God desires that we make disciples who make disciples who make disciples in a natural way. Up, in, and out is intentional in every gathering, every time we get together. It doesn't mean you do all three of these components, but you meet together usually for one or two of these areas. Let's define our church gatherings. There's a whole bunch of them here. Some we're really good at, some we're kind of working at, some we haven't even developed yet. But realistically, you're here, and this is called our Sunday celebration, which happens every Sunday at 10 a.m. Our focus here really is up. Our focus is God. It's prayer. It's worship. It's hearing God's word. It's listening to God. There's another gathering called missional communities. We don't have those yet. But missional communities are communities that are usually 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 big. They usually comprise of three or four or five different growth groups. But it's a little bit larger of a force where, again, they grow and they live life together. They would mostly focus on all three of these aspects in a very unique way, but a way that would help all of us be able to grow in up, in, and out. Then there's ministry teams, and they are all sizes. They gather in teams in order to serve others. Sometimes again in the up, sometimes in the in, and sometimes in the out. Growth groups are family size. 
it's usually uh, between six and ten different people. We have a few of those groups going on here. But most of their focus, well, traditionally, is in. Sometimes they hit up and sometimes they do out. Lastly, there's something called triads or even improved it, slash quads. Oh, yeah. This is, uh, the focus of this mostly is an in. It's a mentoring time. And as I shared with you before, most of the time before, I spent with one-on-one. -on -one. I have noticed over the years that it's a whole lot healthier to have one and two and one and three. So there's three or four people in a group. Now here's the beauty of the local church. You all are important and you all are needed. Some ministries you just simply join. Some ministries you start, you lead, you develop, you train, and you unleash. Some ministries work best in missional community. Others work best in growth groups. But let's dream. Let's look at some ways to invest our time and our treasures and our talents well. At this moment, I'd like you to take out your sheets. The Crosspoint Church Ministries. And I'd like to just quickly go through some of these ministries, some of these ministries that were actually prayed for this morning. You know, we start with our Wanda ministry. What an amazing ministry. And I could probably say that about each one of these. It's a time where fun happens and scripture happens and outreach happens. And we have an opportunity to teach kids scripture. And we partner with parents and also encourage them to, well, invite their lost friends out to hear the good news. You know, there's always all kinds of help that's needed here. Sometimes you're a leader. Sometimes you're a listener. Sometimes you just are in a room to, room to calm down some people. But I want to encourage you to think through this. You know, it matters, actually, what you do. You know, last week, um, well, some of you know, I'm, I'm trying to grow in this whole Facebook thing, I'm trying to be vulnerable here. Um, apparently, there was someone that Facebook messaged me a while back, and I eventually saw it. Um, it wasn't so good. But, but let me read to you. We're going to put it up on the screen. Her name is Vicki Lane. Hi, my name is Victoria Lane a.k.a. Vicki Westman. You probably don't remember me, but I went to Emmanuel. That was the first ministry I was at, a youth pastor, at 11 years old until I was 33. When I first started there, I was a chum. You may find it odd after all these years that I'm writing you. Well, what's odd is that I can't even find out she's writing me. All right. She goes on. But when I was 11... I sat in Timothy Hall in a metal chair listening to you speak about a man named Jesus. You spoke of his love and how he sacrificed himself for me. I felt as though you were speaking only to me. I wanted in my life what you said Jesus had to give. So I accepted him into my heart that night. I wanted to share this with you because of your willingness to share the good news of Jesus. I am a daughter of God and I wanted to say thank you. I can tell you folks, don't really remember who this is. I don't. 
But I can tell you, this is what happens on a Wednesday night. Is that you have an opportunity to, to give God's life-giving message in 10 and 11 or 8 or 9 or 14 or whatever it is. Those kids can hear good news and be changed. What about the kingdom kids? Isn't this amazing that we get again to partner with parents, we get to love parents, we get to allow parents to be able to come in here and worship and get their souls nurtured. But the truth is, is that this is a hard ministry. I'm pretty sure not any one of us get up in the morning and say, I can't wait to go spend time with two and three-year-olds, like about 12 of them running around a room, and it is an amazing blessing to me. I got to tell you, though, without those warriors, there's a whole lot of parents are pretty distracted today. And when people come in who are brand new, you want to know something? It is the scariest thing in the whole world to drop off your two- and three-year-old to some strangers that you have no clue who they are. It is an unbelievable, important ministry, and we need some help here, folks. Vacation Bible School. More happens during vacation Bible school than maybe a year of Sunday school or a year of Awana. Unbelievable ministry. Compassion ministry. You know, we've got some listed here, and yes, we can use some help with helping hands, but there's other things that are going on, and people have talked to me, and I've shared with them... Why don't you look at that? Maybe you can organize it. There's something called Kids Hope where we mentor some kids right here in our neighborhood schools. Something called Backpacks. You've done this in the past where we might be able to bring in, it's too late now, but bring in backpacks and be able to encourage kids that don't have school supplies. And we can bring them and bless them in the name of Jesus. There's something called SWAT. You don't even know what SWAT is at this moment but you should want to be part of the SWAT team, serving with a tool. Oh, yeah. All right. We've got neighborhood people all over that we can grace. Not only you know of people that we can grace, but we can open this up on our webpage, Fox Lake neighbors to say, you know what, you need some help raking leaves. Do you need some help? Maybe you're a single mom. Maybe you're under-resourced. Maybe you're overwhelmed. But could we come and help you? Right now, we don't have anybody on the SWAT team. I'm just letting you know. But you can sign up for this. Because maybe you can rake some Saturday afternoon and encourage somebody in the name of Jesus. Deacons, deaconesses, this is an elected position. But if you have a heart for serving others right here in this community, let us know. We'll chat with you. Discipleship, mentoring. I've shared with you different forms, but we're looking for leaders and members. Maybe you're not part of a small group. You want to get part of that. Maybe you'd like to even organize it. Maybe some of you, I love this church because of their gray hairs. Let me say that again. There's a lot of gray hairs here. And you know what the scriptures tell us? They are filled with wisdom and love for God. How about if we connect some of our gray hairs with some of our young moms that are dying? How about some of the gray hairs with some of our young men that are so confused about parenting? Why not get them together? We can't 
do this apart. This is family. This is family, and this is how it works. Greeters, information table. Folks, some of you guys are born with smiles. It's so nice. How about you use that as you greet people in warmly? They need some help. They need to understand. Learn some names. Rick, I can't learn names. Yes, you can learn names. The trustee team. Say, Rick, uh, you know, I'm not that handy. You know what the truth is? Some of you are handy. And we've got an amazing team here that works faithfully to keep this building going. But let me toss this out to you. In the next few weeks, that lobby is going to get a facelift. We're going to need some painters. Now, again, the rule is if you don't paint your own house, don't come here and paint. Okay? I, I don't care how eager you are. All right? Um, but if you want to help in the next few weeks, give our lobby. Make it look a little bit more like home. So when people walk in here and say, hey, this is our house, you can sign up for that. What about the fellowship team? They do socials. We've got something we like to start called Hot Dog Sunday. You know what Hot Dog Sunday really is about? Hot Dog Sunday is more than a hot dog. Although they are amazing hot dogs. It has nothing to do with hot dogs. It has a whole lot with people sitting at different tables, different groups, getting to know one another. What about dinners of six? We'd love to have someone organize that as, as we get to have people go to different homes and get to know them. And just begin to fellowship and understand what it means. Prayer team. If you love to pray with people, student ministry, absolutely critical. Not everybody can be a junior high leader or a senior high leader. I know that. But the truth is, some of you can. And I'm just asking you to think about men's, women's ministry, sunrise ministry, a ministry to the elderly where we literally go there. We want people to share their stories of God's grace. And then lastly, the celebration service. Folks, this is all important. I look through this. The band. Now, if you've been with us, I love our band. But there are times we don't have a drummer. Are you serious? Is there a drummer right now that wasn't drumming? T- Never mind. There's times we don't have a drummer. There's times we're not full. There's times that, then we can use some more vocals. You know what? We'd love to have two teams or three teams being able to lead us. How grand would that be? Now, of course, if you want to sing and you can't sing, you can't sing. But, you know, those are things, you know, we're just going to say. Uh, The decor, how to dress this place up during seasons. Technology, you guys never know it, but there are some unbelievably important people up there right now. We need some help in sound. We need some help in lighting. I'm not saying that you don't, you know, you're doing a good job up there, guys. Don't cut me off. All right. Um, Of computer and technology. Do you know we've got some high school kids right here that know technology 50 times better than we'll ever know it? I think you got a ministry. I do. And you can go through this. I know it's always a sacrifice. But sometimes, and I say this, how come there aren't lines? Like people lining up saying, oh, Rick, I want to serve here, and I want to serve there, and I can't wait to serve here. You know, I'm not really not trying to beat you up. I'm just trying to say, this is amazing. 
You know, the, the truth is, I think Crosspoint probably has some growth points. Everything starts with a dynamic relationship with God, and it's time, a personal time in word and prayer. But I think we need to grow in obedience. I am not saying that we don't obey. What I am saying is that I think we need to obey quicker. Growth in obedience always means we grow in the fear of God. Because when we open up God's Word and we see God's Word, and God's Word is life, if we decide not to obey it, we basically don't fear God. We need to grow in our priorities in seeking first God's kingdom. If you want to know what's important to you, basically look at your calendar. If you don't have a calendar, just kind of look what you did this last week. The truth is, a lot of times the Sunday morning gatherings are not that critical to so many of our families. They are not a priority. I'm just going to say this. I'm going to skip some things. Um... And you do your best up there. Okay? Thank you. How's that for a cue? We are really refined here. Okay? But what I, what I want to say is this, is that, you know, gatherings together are critical for a family. And oftentimes we come to church just because we don't have anything else to do. I think when you miss... We both hurt. You know, there's a post, um, and again, if my wife didn't point this out to me, I, I wouldn't have known this, but there's a pastor friend of mine. He said this on Facebook. He said, fellow Christian parents, the most important, his name is Matt Fur. sorry. Fellow Christian parents, the most important investment you can make in your kids is to help them experience the beauty of faith in Jesus, experienced in the body of Christ. Their potential stardom in soccer and baseball and volleyball, anything career is not worth the spiritual cost of neglecting the engagement in the family of God. I'm in the trenches with you of wanting to see my kids thrive in life. I get it. I need to keep reminding myself that true greatness is a child who has learned to walk with Jesus, love the church, and commission with the Holy Spirit in their world. As the fall schedule begins to fill up with school and sports activities, clear away the space for worship on weekends and engagement in student ministry during the week. Model it, lead it. It literally is the most important thing you can do as you prepare them to be adults whose faith in Christ flourishes. You know, the author of Hebrews gives a severe warning. And again, you may not even understand it in most translations, but in Hebrews chapter 10, I'm going to start reading in verse 19. And so, brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain of the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who is Jesus, who rules over God's house, this is what the author says. Let's go right into his presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty conscience have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. 
Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another in acts of love and good works. And again, I'm going to say it sounds, let us. The author is pleading. He's begging, and he says this. And lastly, let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is close. John MacArthur says this, For a Christian to fail to participate in the life of a local church is inexcusable. In fact, those who choose to isolate themselves are disobedient to a direct command of God. You know, I'm really not here to beat you up. I'm here to say, when you miss, we miss. When you miss, it shouts of what your priorities are. You know, the latest Time magazine that just came a day ago or two days ago, at least in my mail, shares with us on the cover how much money and time parents are now paying for sports leagues for their kids to participate. I'm not against it. But you know what's really funny? Is that they all take the priority. If you have a game on Sunday, or if you have a game actually on youth ministry night, you know what? Oh, I paid a lot of money. I better go to that game. I'm thinking you're modeling poorly at this moment. There are exceptions. I get it. But if that's what your kids see week after week, you see, our culture focuses on comfort, and sometimes it sneaks into the church. We serve when it's convenient. We give after all of our needs are met. Yet there are people drowning. There are people that need to hear good news. You know, the awful night the Titanic sunk, 700 people lived, while 1,500 people died. 20 lifeboats were launched, most of them half-filled. Let's look at this clip. Pull us down if we don't keep going. We've lots more room. I say we go back. No! It's our lives now, not theirs. And I'm in charge of this boat, madam. Now row! This is the captain! Come back to the ship! You know, that night, 
they were worried about their safety and concerned for their lives, and they kept rowing. Serving others is always inconvenient. Serving others always pays a price personally. But we have been rescued, and people are drowning and don't have to die. We keep rowing in our cozy little lifeboats while people literally around us are dying. I think the best picture for the church is a life-saving station. It's a place where we go out and rescue people and bring them in and, and, and bathe them, encourage them, and strengthen them and equip them and teach them and send them back out into the sea in order to find others who are dying. Jesus said, disciples are less focused on themselves. They should expect to suffer and need to follow him. Today, as we close our time, I'm asking you to be the church, which is different than everyone, for everyone. You will never, ever regret listening to God. And if you are ready to jump in, no one's saying you need to commit at this exact moment, but as you walk out, there is a gigantic board and on that board are all these different arenas. And you may want to pull some of those off and, and be able to write on there and say, you know what, I'd, I'd like to talk to somebody about serving our Awana boys. They're tea and tears. I'd love to be part of their lives. I can't wait. May, ha haven't been discipling, or, or I want to get involved, or I need some more information. But you will never, ever regret listening to God, doing what God asks you to do. And honestly, there's even a page up there that says, I don't have a clue where I'm supposed to go. You know what? Fill it out. We'd love to meet with you, love to talk with you, love to, to find and get you in the right spot. You will never regret that. You're going to regret a lot of things in life, but you will never, ever, ever regret investing in people and helping them grow in their relationship. May God give you grace. Father, we ask you that you would uh, just teach us we look around and there's so many holes and there's so many things to do. And God, we're actually not trying to fill every hole. We're trying to listen to you. And maybe you want some groups formed and maybe you want some of us taking care of two and three-year-olds. And, and maybe, Father, some of us need to be raking leaves for, for our neighbors that don't know you. And, and maybe, God, you're going to put something on our hearts. And, and Lord, I just pray that you do the work in our hearts. That we would hear you, that we would listen to you, that we would respond to you. And that you'd receive honor and glory. You'd smile when you see Crosspoint Church because that's a group of people that oh, love you. They are finely tuned athletes. They are family that love one another and they serve each other and others well. In Jesus' name, amen.
in your bulletin, uh, you've got a tear-off. If you'd like a call, if you want some encouragement as you do your journey, uh, if there's a prayer request, we'd love for you to fill it out and put it in the offering that we'll receive in just a little bit. But before that, we have a quiet time. And we're just going to ask you to maybe ponder a little bit of maybe what God's been talking to you about. Maybe there's something you do need to do. Maybe there's nothing you need to do. Maybe you just need to be affirmed today. But why don't you listen to God and see what he has to say to you. Father, we know that your spirit is active. We know that your spirit has given us gifts. And that your spirit is prompting where we need to be prompted. Lord, this isn't about a show. It's not about filling spots. It's about listening to you. And I'm so convinced that you have the right people here for all the tasks that you've asked us to do. And I know, God, that as God's people gather, they're refined, they're encouraged, they're convicted because your word is part of every gathering. Lord, I'm so grateful we can just go boldly into your presence, even right now as we read, and and that you hear us. Lord, there's some areas that we've been convicted about. I pray, God, that we would listen to you and respond. Others, their hearts have been encouraged and pray that happens, God. That they bask in your grace and your presence. Father, we do enjoy our comfort. We do. We enjoy being in charge of our schedules at times. But God, I also know that there's always a sacrifice when we serve you. There's a sacrifice of time and there's a sacrifice of of treasures and and Lord, we want to give to you not because we're supposed to, we want to give to you so that you might be able to use these funds in an unbelievable way in order to do your kingdom work and make your kingdom impact. We thank you, Lord, for opportunity to meet with God's people today. Please take these offerings because we love you. In your name, amen.